0: Welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel Podcast. I am your host, Carl Zha. Today is August 11th, 2019, and we have a very special treat for you. I appear as a guest on Uproar in the Studio, a China blockbuster podcast with Andrew, Noah, and Reza. They run a very entertaining podcast, about all the Chinese blockbusters. I had the honor to appear on their show before to talk about Monster Hunt, film mostly targeted at children. At this time, thankfully, they invited me to talk about a far more entertaining movie, Wolf Warrior 2, or what I call Chinese Ramble. Check out their podcast and enjoy.
1: Welcome to Uproar in the Studio, your bi-weekly New York-based Chinese blockbuster podcast. It is the end of Season 1 of this podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Reza. I'm Andrew. For our final episode of Season 1, we are talking about Wolf Warrior 2, released on July 28th, 2017. It made almost $900 million. You don't have to see the movie, we'll give a synopsis, but if you want to watch it unspoiled, and this one might actually be worth watching unspoiled, (laughs) maybe listen to the show after.
2: Later, we'll have two interviews that probably constitute the most comprehensive source in English on the making of Wolf Warrior 2 First, we'll be talking about the score with the film's composer, Joseph Trapanese, whose work has previously appeared in Tron Legacy, Oblivion, and The
1: Greatest Showman. His latest score can be heard in this summer's Stuber. After, we'll have action director Sam Hargrave, whose stunt coordinating can also be seen in the Avengers films and Atomic Blonde. His directorial debut is the forthcoming DACA.
3: But before that, we are talking about the movie with friend of the show, Carl Jha, host of the podcast, Silk and Steel. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Jha to check out his travels to China. Here is our conversation. (laughs)
1: When Lang Feng, an elite soldier of the PLA, is disgraced and imprisoned for the unintentional murder of a haughty real estate magnate, he exiles himself to Africa, where he works as a mercenary security contractor for aid missions. The nation Feng is stationed and suddenly becomes overrun with rebels and more hired guns, led by an American codenamed Big Daddy. Chinese citizens are quickly evacuated, but when Feng learns that his fiancée was murdered long ago by the team of mercs now causing havoc for him again, he takes it upon himself to track down Big Daddy and deliver justice for China. While he fights his way through armies, Feng also serves as protector of Dr. Chen, his colleague Dr. Rachel Smith, and his adopted daughter Pasha. Dr. Chen is working on finding a cure for the deadly disease Lamanla, and after Chen is killed by mercenaries, Feng learns that Pasha carries within her the experimental cure for the disease. In a final showdown, Big Daddy tells Feng that the bullet that killed his fiancée came from his gun, and in a rage Feng finally kills the rebel leader. Bouncing missiles, flipping tanks, and an oddly placed Amazing Grace... This is Wolf Warrior Two.
3: When did you first? You said you watched it in the theaters, right?
0: Yeah, I actually saw it in the United States um, because I saw the advertisement for War, uh, Wolf Warrior Two like about a year before it came out. I saw it on Weibo, mm-hmm. on Chinese yeah. social media, and at the time, it was a very short clip. I thought, I thought it looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> And I so I, I when I realized that movie was going to be released in US simultaneously, um, and I, I was curious. But I was uh, I went to the theater expecting it to be really cringy, and so I had the expectation I'm going to be there watch it in my mystery science three thousand. Yeah.
2: But it, yeah, but it totally I, turned out to be awesome,
0: right? Oh, I know. I know. I was like as soon as the movie start, like the opening shot, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. just amazing. <laughs> I was just blown away by that, and and like it was just nonstop action. Like there was yeah. like so many. Uh, there's like different scenes, and they, they just kind of roll from one to another. And I, yeah, I was I was to- pleasantly surprised. Let me tell you.
3: It's, it's like one of the only ones they you know put the time in for the music too and it really keeps up with it i don't know we were yes, talking about yeah. this recently too
0: yeah i i i so i did some research afterwards it looks like they got some uh help from hollywood they yeah have, we talked
2: uh, we talked to the help for later in this episode
0: yeah oh nice. <laughs> nice yeah 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 I, I mean that shows i mean like You know, I I expected uh, to see like a dodgy Chinese production Mm -hmm. where they have like just like really cringy, um, unconvincing, like patriotic education type of uh, type of propaganda movie. But what I got was Chinese Ramble, which is great.
2: (laughs) Wu Jing's just too cool for that second rate stuff.
0: Yeah. How did you guys hear about it? Ah, number
3: and one just, Andrew and I just like watched it a few years ago, like during a summer. This is way before we thought about doing the show. Just because yeah. it made so much money, I guess both of us.
2: We were like, oh wow, I'd never this, heard of this I, movie, and this movie's huge.
0: Maybe I should It's see gotta it. be interesting in some way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> And it turned out yeah, that so
0: really- the funny thing is I um, so I was pretty hyped about the movie after I, I seen it. I went um, I went on social media, you know, like totally hyping it. So some of my Facebook friends, they went out and got Wolf Warrior one. You know, on video, mm. And they're like, "Dude, Wolf yeah, Warrior sucked. One sucked." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, I never, I didn't even see Wolf War <laughs> Warrior." <laughs> but you know, just just go watch Wolf Warrior Two. You know, it, it's the it's 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 like supposedly a sequel, but it's really a standalone movie, and it he kicked ass.
2: It, to- it totally think- does. I I think I might be the only one of us who watched Wolf Warrior One as well, and it's it, yeah, it's a, it's a lot less of a a lot less of a exciting. Like the the locations aren't as exotic. The it's it's more of like a training exercise for most of it, which yeah. kind of makes sense that you know a training exercise for this next movie. Almost. Yeah,
0: I mean, like it's uh, it I think it was supposed to be like a low budget movie, like but but the Wolf Warrior two was a major upgrade. Like the the producer and and. Producer, director, and the actor Wu Jing—he actually yeah. uh, supposedly put his house in Beijing. That's collateral. Uh, oh, wow. But, I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he made out. He made out. I mean, like he—that—that was—he was probably the the greatest investor that year. He's um,
2: he does that consistently because he did that on Wandering Earth too. He like put up a bunch of the
0: money for Wandering Earth. He's, yeah, he did that right after hmm. Wolf Warrior too. I it's mean, crazy. He, I know, he's <laughs> a pro. Uh, yeah. Did he get a
1: producer credit for that, or was it just uh, was it just investment for Wondering Earth?
0: Uh, I think he yeah. might have gotten
2: a producer credit.
0: I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know, but he he was he was a major investor. Like I think what happened was Wondering Earth uh, had some uh, financial ran into some financial difficulties, so the the a director went to look for, you know, went to talk to him basically trying to get money because after the <laughs> huge success of Wolf Warrior Two, and and they start talking and, and they agree to bring him on for a small role and that small role turned out to be <laughs> <big. Yeah. laughs> like, like he basically he's, uh, I think his role was, was supposed to be like a minor character in the book and then they just kind of uh, blow it up and and yeah. In the well, best they did way possible. his
3: entire part, like, after making the rest of the movie. We've... Like, seven months after, yeah.
2: It's crazy. Carl, Carl do you know anything about, like, Wu Jing before these movies? Because I've only seen him in, like, the SBL Killzone movies, apart from, like, his more recent stuff.
0: Do you know anything? Yeah, that's what he's famous for. I mean, that's that's his, like, breakout movie. Um, I mean, his, his background is like in martial arts. He, he's like Jet, Jet Li, right? Like um, mm-hmm. he was a national champion and then he went into the movie business. And supposedly in the SPL Killzone, so he paired with uh, Donnie Yan, right? yep. Who, yep. Um, most people know from Star Wars. <laughs> or, or Ip Man, right? Yeah, and and it man. And uh so so back then um you know there were actually some gossip uh, about um uh, the the SPL Killzone because uh, Donnie Yang kind of uh kind of dissed him, kind of dissed Wu Jing because Wu Jing was just like nobody coming out of mainland and uh and and Donnie and, um, Yang was already a big star in Hong Kong. Um so you know there was some personality conflict there mm. I think and and like at least Wu Jin felt slighted. <laughs> but,
2: well, they also but, give they give him awful hair in the first SPL, too. He's got oh this like God. weird blonde.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually never seen that movie entirely. I just saw the clips, but like you know, the, yeah, best the, fighting the clips, like him. Yeah, the knife fight
2: head. between them. Oh, it's so good.
3: Yeah, um, yeah I watch yeah, that, that one. But he's Did also- Wu Jing ever come up in China? Like, is he like a? Do kids like him the way I don't know? Kids like Iron Man in America or something? Because I feel like I do at least.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like really, I mean, um, you know, he was he had the breakout role in the Kill Zone, but really, he got he got big uh, for Wolf Warrior. Like, like he he made a kind of small name niche name for himself when he mm-hmm. made Wolf Warrior One. You know, it's a low budget movie, but he actually made decent returns. Um, and but the wolf warrior 2 is really that you know made him a household name.
1: Also, I didn't realize, uh, I'm just on the Wikipedia page looking at this movie. I didn't realize that he wasn't just the star of this movie, he also is the director. Yeah. Dude, he did he everything, <laughs> he had a co-writing. He, credit. Sang. he sings the yeah. song, he sings. Oh, wow, uh, he's just like Clint like sword, also, <laughs> yeah this movie was China's submission for best foreign language film at the 90th academy awards as it
2: should have been it's
3: so yeah. good. <laughs> but like so is operation red sea you know and i feel like that has little to do with Wu Jing. really we did not like operation red sea i yeah. love operation. So, yeah
0: i mean man that that movie it's just i like i and never expected something uh, from chinese cinema like that i mean the the whole movie the the i so i just rewatched it before talking to you guys the opening shot was amazing. It opens up this like ocean view yeah. off the coast of Africa. I mean like it immediately draws you in in the exotic locale. And then the the water underwater fighting scene, man, that that's yeah, like yeah. you didn't waste time. You went right for the action and, and that's what, you know, that that's like, okay, this is what I came here for. <laughs> uh,
2: in the bloopers, then, you can see a little bit of how they film that underwater fight scene. Like, they, they swim up to him with, like, an oxygen mask. Um, I don't know. I thought, I thought that was pretty cool that they, like...
0: I didn't see that. I Actually, when I was first watching that movie in theater, I was like, dude, I mean, really? Like, are you fighting underwater? Like, how much impact <laughs> does it really hurt if you kick somebody in the <laughs> water? <laughs> that's that's what, the, what was going through my mind. But you know, I, I still enjoy it nevertheless. And then what surprised me was the next scene, which was um uh was a little bit emotional and he went to return his comrade's ash, I guess his comrade from Wolf Warrior One, which yep. has yeah. yep. and uh, and then like what surprised me about that scene was it's a it's a scene about the thugs, local developers hiring hiring the thugs to to demolish the home of his uh, of his comrade, and this is actually a kind of like this is really controversial uh, issue in China because in China there's a lot of uh, you know conflicts between um, people who are forced to move and there so called like nailed houses who, you know, like the people who just refuse to move and then uh, in many cases, the developers sometimes seeing cohoots with the local government. They will hire the thugs to go in and smash up the house and, and, and just demolish people's houses. So I was uh, I was shocked to see that actually on big screen in a Chinese cinema. Um, yeah. Like I, I did not expect that. I did not expect that at all. And especially, um, You know, like he also was playing as a People's Liberation Army's Mm -hmm. I guess special force officer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you know, like in a old you know, old style Chinese propaganda movie, you would expect um it, it, it turns out, oh, you know, he refrains from, from his anger and, and follows the rule of law. <laughs>
3: Not in no, this one. <laughs> no, 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 he's no. a wolf warrior. Once a wolf warrior, always a wolf warrior.
2: Well, in the first yeah. one, um, in the first one, the way that we're sort of introduced to him is he, he and his team are in this, like, shootout, and basically he shoots the same spot in a wall. At, at, so basically there's been a ceasefire ordered but he keeps shooting at this, like, guy holding a hostage through a wall. Like, but, like, the from the very start, he's, like, I'm not the one who's going to follow orders, you know? He's he's yeah, the wolf warrior from that, the start.
0: Yeah, that kind of, I think that kind of makes it stand out from the old style, you know, the Chinese state and media. Yeah. films <laughs> Because, uh, you know, immediately in this scene, he... Confronts uh, uh, the 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 rogue developer, and and you can see the 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 point where you know that when the developer threatened his comrade's family, you can see he made a calculated move that mm-hmm. he was gonna kill the guy. You know, <laughs> he was just gonna take care of the problem right there, even though he knew the consequences. Like he would probably go to a jail time, but he didn't care. He's just gonna he's just gonna take care of the problem and and like immediately that marked him as the maverick right i mean like that that kind of the set the whole scene and and it, like this whole movie is very american in a way totally like mm. i think that's why i think ramble is like a chinese ramble is a total apt description because it's um there's a there's a lot of um kind of that kind of uh, glorification of individualism right there yeah yeah they're really really... the entire way through like um
3: just him like we watched operation red sea and i think it's it ends up being like very similar sort of location like setting but it's just one guy he frees the entire like workforce yeah Yeah. but it's like a very similar setting but like just zoomed in yeah he's
0: like the one-man army right he's like the chinese ramble (laughs)
3: <laughs> and like apparently Xi Jinping like loved the first one, and then was really waiting on the second one. So like that's kind of like just weird. Like it's well, pretty an everything we a... hear about the PLA.
1: There will be a third one coming up soon, so he will have that well, to look forward you know,
0: to. That's that's what happened. They show at the end of the movie, right? Wolf yeah. Warrior. Yeah. 2. Set up for this like really exciting uh, kind of suspense trailer for Wolf Warrior Three, but I, I don't know. No. Like it's. Because I heard rumors that um, Wolf Warrior Three might be canned. Um, oh, no. he was going to freak. I, I don't Tibet. Know, it might just be a a, a rumor. I, it was like those Chinese social media rumors. Because um, mm-hmm. um, uh, there was a rumor going around that that there were there's a a temporary um, what, what what what's it call it Mor- moratorium.
2: moratorium
0: moratorium for uh, movies like Wolf Warrior 2 and uh, Operation Red Sea because you know, they some people complain that, you know, it's shown too much of China flexing its muscle and and they don't want to protect that kind of image in the era of trade war with U.S. Mm, too, <laughs> soon. <laughs> too soon, <laughs> too <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> to stare up unnecessary patriotism, you know, like like when, mm-hmm. when people are already getting riled up, they don't want to like... Uh, yeah, they, they they don't want us rock the boat too much. That, that's that's what I heard.
1: I, I've, I've I,
2: seen that too. Um, I've I seen got a couple that. of articles about that.
1: Speaking of that last scene though, at the end of it, that was sort of the Wolf Warrior three trailer. I think this is the only movie we've watched on this podcast that had a stinger
3: scene. Dude, it's basically a Marvel movie. They're just they're just going for like the. Hollywood well, they hired
2: movie. the the Marvel, mm-hmm. like parts of the Marvel stunt team too. Oh really? Interesting. Yeah. And I I read somewhere that um Joe and Anthony Russo were brought on as advisors in part for this the directors oh. of the latest Avengers. Do we want to talk about the African setting of this because yeah, you know, Absolutely, absolutely. China's this... been like a major player in Africa for a long time now, but, like maybe becoming yeah. the major player in a way. Like,
0: this yeah, movie came this up a bunch. This is probably the first uh, Chinese movie that, you know, big Chinese movie that took place in Africa. I mean, like, I'm I'm discounting all those Jackie Chan movies. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm talking about, like, a mainland Chinese production um, that, that has Africa as a backdrop. I mean, you, 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 in a way, like, it kind of plays to the... You know, the, the Chinese uh, current Belt and Road initiative, the, the new Silk Road project where, um, you know, the Chinese firms are urged to go out to places like Africa investing, you know, infrastructure and, and, and get involved in different projects. You can kind of see that in the movie. You, can, you see all these different Chinese people in kind of various different capacities. And then you, you see like the, the actual the, the Chinese Navy getting involved. Um, actually the, the part of the uh, the operation part of the, the plot of the movie is sort of based on the Chinese evacuation of, of Chinese nationals during the Libyan war yeah. Uh, yeah. during the overthrow of Gaddafi there, there were like tens mm-hmm. of thousands of Chinese workers who were in Libya and and so the Chinese Navy sent out um, Couple of ships to evacuate the Chinese national, and 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 same with the Red, Operation Red Sea, which you guys talk about. That was based on the um, the Yemen, yeah, the, the the Yemen evacuation during the Yemen civil war, when Chinese navy sent another warship to evacuate the, the Chinese national. Of course, they made it like totally Hollywood <laughs> 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 and added all these like fighting explosions. Uh, but what really amazed me um, uh, about the Wolf Warrior 2, one is this. It, it's really taking a big chance. It's, it's it's sitting in the exotic locale of Africa. It's about the total promotion of individualism. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah. like basically a Hollywood movie in um, played by a Chinese guy.
2: Well, so what's interesting also about... Wu Jing as a Chinese guy because there was some controversy after this movie about him having a Hong Kong passport despite the Chinese passport at the end of it his son has yeah. I think some sort of EU citizenship his what or no his son has a green card his wife also uh, has some like you know
0: yeah yeah because one of the big draw of the movie right like the one of the um, you know it you plays really on the Chinese nationalism yeah uh, and it's very explicit by the last scene with a with a passport that says, I think, like, um, you know, wherever
2: you are, we'll
0: protect possessor you. of the, the, this passport, we will protect you. Um, and 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 also that's reflected in the movie posters. Because one of one of the movie poster, um, it, it paraphrases a, 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 like a really famous uh, ancient saying. Um, the original saying is uh, is from like like 200 BC Han Han Dynasty general who led a a, a very far off expedition into Central Asia uh, uh-huh. to fight off the the Xiongnu or the Hans. and he fa- uh, to justify his action he famously said something like Fun wo chang bi which uh, means uh, whoever whoever offends the 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 strong Han, no matter how far, we will get you. And and the, oh god, wow. <laughs> yeah, and the movie poster. So the movie poster for Wolf Warrior Two, uh, they they paraphrase that, uh, except instead of using Han, they use, they use China. So like whoever mm. whoever owns <laughs> China. No matter how far, we will get you. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, nationalism is a big part of the appeal of the movie to the to the Chinese moviegoers. I was in the United States, right? I was uh, watching this in Orange County. The theater was full and it's all like overseas Chinese or, or diaspora. And at the end of the movie, they had like standing ovations. You <laughs> know, people standing up and clapping when the, the, the passport appeared on the screen. Wow. I was like, wow. <laughs> You know, like that, that was pretty amazing. The strong association with Chinese nationalism this movie has, um, there are a lot of people, like uh, Wu Jing's critics in China, you know, trying to dig up dirt on the end. <laughs> like, why do you have a why do you have a Hong Kong passport there, you know? Why does your song have a foreign, foreign green card or passport? Um, like, because like, Wu Jing was, was being criticized for, you know, cashing in on nationalism for his movie. And and I think he he responded saying like oh, what what's wrong with that you know I'm Chinese and I think I think it's it's because of that remark people are doing some background check on him. And stuff.
2: <laughs> it's also Which, interesting that it's not just a show of like China protecting its people. It's in the factory where he's like everybody is leaving. It was, yeah. it was It's kind it was of a very like to responsibility
3: Africa to Africa well. protect. Like you know the only ones there to do it. I
0: still feel like that's a. Very American, though, <laughs> It's like, because you know, like, uh, you, you kind of expect that in, in a Hollywood movie as well. And um, there, are, there are parts where, like, like the, you know, the setting is in Africa, the the locale, um, but in a way, a lot of the. You know, it's the African people and the locals serve more like a prop, you know, kind of mm. like Hollywood movies. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> when, yeah. If you think about it, all the African characters in the movie, you know, the little kid, he kind of adopts, and the the, the the kid's mom, they're kind of like just the comedy we leave. Um, yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, you don't have like a really uh, like a strong African character who is, you know, I mean, like, it, there's more character in the, the villains, right? I actually like how they have individual personality for the villains, like the big, the great bear, hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. <laughs> the, Daddy, yeah. yeah, the Athena, the ghost, you know, like you yeah. have these individual mm-hmm. villains where they're all different personalities. Um, I think it was also like a very intentional of the movie to to have the villains as some European mercenary. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. American
2: mercenaries. American too. specifically. Yeah. Oh,
0: there were American. Okay, I wasn't sure. Like, well, well so like,
3: no, they, they didn't specifically say American mercenary,
0: but, but there o- were obviously Grillo and- is yeah. American. All oh, right, right. I mean, I mean, everybody was speaking. I mean, except for Big Bear, right? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Russian. <laughs> the, the head honcho, Big Daddy. He's you know Frank Grillo. Uh, Frank yeah. yeah, yeah. He's speaking with American. I, I guess. I, I Initially I didn't, I, I just assumed there's supposed to be like European mercenaries in Africa just because, you know, the Europe, I mean in my mind somehow Europe were more involved in Africa and that was a very conscious decision to cast, uh, you know, them as civilians because, you know, Europeans, <laughs> that's associated with, a, a traditional associated with colonialism in Africa and... Um, But whereas, like the Africans are the people that that needs to be saved, you know, in in a way, that's not too different from Hollywood. Like, you know, like the in Hollywood, you have the American hero uh, go to some exotic locale like Africa to go save the locals. But yeah, Yeah, this is
3: like a weird white man's burden kind of movie, but just
0: Chinese. yes, (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That's why. That's why I, I think like a Chinese ramble is a total apt description mm-hmm. <laughs> for Wu Qing. But and, uh, you know, I wish, you know, they could have done a little bit more. But I, I guess it's kind of expected because even though China is having more engagement with Africa right now, but for vast majority of Chinese people, you know, Africa is just as remote as it is for most Americans. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it kind of just serves as a movie prop, basically.
2: Um, Although there but, are, it, like, a large number of Chinese, like, civilians going over there for, like, you know, to start businesses, to start work. From what I've read, it's, like, in some ways, people use it as sort of, like, the American West in the 1800s in that, like, there are already people there, but we're going to go set up and... There are, like, obviously way fewer people there. There's more opportunity there. What I've read people talk about... Um, I mean,
3: there's, like, enough enough Chinese in, like, Ethiopia to basically qualify as a minor demographic. Yeah, it's... Like yeah, there yeah. are, like, 100,000 at least or something.
2: In Namibia, there are border towns that are controlled, like, that are, like, almost entirely Chinese, which is amazing to me. It's
0: Yeah, like, and this very recent development... Yeah, too, yeah, It's yeah, happened, like, decades. since 2000... I mean, like, it's uh, literally just last 10, 20 years, uh, you know, I mean, like, like Africa before is just so exotic, you know, like, <laughs> but but now it's, it's, you know, you have people who, who are in Africa, um, have local connections and bring in their like relatives from China going mm-hmm. over there. And like, it's funny because I was just talking to my cousin and he told me uh, about. One of his friend, who is in Africa, oh, wow. doing, uh, they're trying to trying to uh, do some kind of uh, import export of seafood because there's like abundance of seafood mm. in in Africa shore. I forgot which country they were in, but one of the problem is because of the distance, right? The only the only way they can do it is by by airlift. And the the so so what they do is they they try to do these um, airlift all these crabs from life crafts, from Africa to China, like, it was very detailed, like, so, so, (laughs) you know, like, 90% of the crafts would actually survive to make it to Guangzhou, but if any, any city who is any further away from Guangzhou, like Shanghai or, Mm -hmm. or Beijing, the survival rate is just not good enough to, to make a profit, Uh, Uh, but I I was just amazed, like, like, here's my cousin, you know, talking about his, (laughs) business in africa yeah it's it's more a lot more common now apparently Pretty amazing um, what's your
3: take on how positive like uh the relationship comes off in the movie uh, this but, is a chinese movie man i mean yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's like or it's like a, super
0: a, super positive right like he, he yeah, adopts I, a kid you know like, well, he does first of all like that's what kind of a chinese audience are, are expecting and and this is also like this um, kind of go uh, go along with the official Chinese narrative about mm-hmm. um, you know the Chinese role in Africa is to win-win, right? To to help yeah. the Africans and yeah, that's why I wish like they had a little bit more um, actual African involvement in the movie. It's like very, it's just like the Chinese version of Hollywood where Africans are kind of the passive. Subject, you know, <laughs> they're being acted upon. <laughs> they're all being a... Well,
2: actually, literally, the sort of MacGuffin is the little girl, the little African girl that like everybody's trying to sort of chase down for the um, or whatever. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but
0: <laughs> after all that criticism, I I have to say, at least you know, like you it, it um, uh, you try to promote right some sort of Chinese African friendship. And and that it's yeah, I think it's well intentioned. You may not reflect the reality on the ground, but the, the movie itself is well intentioned. yeah, uh, like and, this
3: is Belt and Road in theory. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It, it's, it's Belt and Road in, in cinema. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and and think about trying to get back to the movie. Just, I mean, there's a it's, tank it's,
2: battle. We haven't talked about like there's so many amazing set pieces we haven't talked about, like a tank battle. Like yes, oh my yes. god!
0: But but even before that, there was a, the the scene where um the the, the scene where they went yeah, there. There like I was thinking about just all the even like some funny moments like um when he rescued the uh, the American doctor Rachel mm-hmm. and they were driving back uh, through the savannah and. And she said, oh, yeah, we, we, no, like, well, we should go to the American embassy. Oh, because, yeah, we'll yeah, because there, there will be Marines there to protect us. And and there was, like, a total opportunity for the movie to kind of, like, kind of snub the Americans. Because then, then Wu-Jin asked her, oh, wait, how did you how did you contact them? And she's like, oh, I, I added their Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest moment I remember I, and right after that, uh, you know, because Wujin laughed at her and, and, and basically tells her, oh, yeah, I I saw the American flags on those ships leaving the harbor. <laughs> and so she got pissed and she stepped out of the Jeep. And then, and then, like, right away, the camera pans out to, like, these lions on the side of the road just, yeah, like, yeah. munching on, on the zebra. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, crap. And, and then she's, very carefully backs into the jeep again i mean that was a great scene i loved it yeah. um or or even before that when uh their jeep like kind of turned over in the pit of dead bodies yeah. oh, mm. that was, it was like it was like one moment it was like this a classic car chase movie and then this next moment you have like zombie apocalypse you know when the when the, all these patients uh suffers of the so-called Lamna virus were like gathering around them. I was like, "Whoa, what happened?" Like it's almost like it was—it's turning into a zombie movie, right? Like right there, um, th- th- there was a moment of tension there, and I then know, uh, he
2: gets confused too because he goes to like shoot them, and he's she's like, "No, no, no, no longer an action movie." Yeah.
3: <laughs> After that <laughs> intense car and, chase scene, and, they and, just and, have like a bunch of food
0: aid in the jeeps, right? Somehow.
2: Around. <laughs> for yeah, like, this
0: food. That, that was just great pacing. I mean, like, it kind of, yeah, pretty seamlessly from one scene to, to another. Um, and and oh, before we even get to the tank battle, what about those <laughs> drones, man? Like, I think, yeah, a, yeah, I that think that's real. the first time I've seen you like a, like a big blockbuster where like the drones were, um, oh, hell uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, the arm. That drones. was one of the
3: first things before, like we ever, you know, thought about doing this as a show. It was like that really got to me. Like the urban warfare, like just seamlessly used the drone.
0: I mean, it just, I just love how you rose from, from one action to another. Because hey, I'm an action fan, and you know, I'm a great my me and my friends both agreed the. Uh, Mad Max Fury, <laughs> Fury Road was the greatest movie because oh, it's <laughs> this so good. dialogue and all it's action. I so <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I feel that's what we got out of this movie because it, 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 it has a It basically goes from action scene to action scene, but but it does it well. It like kind of it, it adds a little bit of humor, you know, and the, the 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 actors they have good chemistries. So it was it was great. I, I loved it.
3: There was, I mean, for that drone scene specifically, it was like a little bit of Army of Two almost, right? With that older PLA
0: soldier. Oh, yeah. They
3: just take down a drone yeah. by themselves, like jumping off a truck or something.
2: Oh, my God. That was so good. He's like jumping so with a burning bad. thing to like hit the drone off the bus there. Ah, amazing. Literally fighting a drone.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I love this like little characterization because... Um, when they first rode up, rowing in the factory, that fat the young factory owner. I mean, he was like a freaking show off punk, right? And like, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, and then you know the the then you pretty soon realize that the doorman, that old old the uh, um, the factory guard, the OPLA guy was really the guy that know what he's talking about. Um, and and the, the the young guy kind of got putting his place a little bit, but but he redeemed himself later. He does. He does.
2: Um, when he shoots the, I think the turning point is when he shoots the like big bear guy through yeah. the neck, and he's like, "Didn't your mother ever tell you not to fuck with spoiled brats?" <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I was a little confused by that. Like, what they were going for with that?
0: Uh, yeah. I think I think it's just uh. Well, I mean, it was a little self-deprecating humor right, about, about <laughs> himself, um, and and like, because like he's used a term in 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 Chinese, "熊孩子," uh, literally uh, in Chinese, it literally means like bear child, but 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 it it means spoiled brat, and and then <laughs> I, I, I I don't know, I, I think it just works well. I, that thing worked well for me. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Yeah yeah and and I really like uh, you know I, I I really like they have like I said earlier, they have these different characterization even for the villains. They have like the 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 big bear, the Russian guy, and uh, his partner Athena, yep. really, really badass girl. and then they have that Asian guy ghost. you know, mm-hmm. like each each one all all have like something different. and you know, they're and they're not like, they're supposed to be bad guys, but they're
2: cool. <laughs> <laughs> well that's I feel a, like that's the best big, bad guys are. That's a big step yeah. up from the first movie where like the, the main mercenary, he's like sort of a big daddy type and he's called um a former like US SEAL, but he's got a British accent, and he's the only one with a personality, the rest of them are just like sort of flat caricatures. Literally a car blows up in front of them and one of them goes with a monotone intonation. Interesting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's why pe- people like told me well, Wolf Warrior One sucked ass. i like, I, I mean, I it's Wujing's still pretty Wolf fucking good cool in
2: Wolf Warrior One. You still get plenty of good Wu Jing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's he's good. He's good. I I mean, like like the whole Wolf Warrior, uh, I guess, the trilogy is is really his baby. I mean, he, he planted planned out. You know, Wolf Warrior One, and then Wolf Wolf Warrior Two. Like I think he, he planned it out in such a way like he he started small with Wolf Warrior One mm. so he he would have a little bit more budget to work with Wolf Warrior two. I, I really hope the rumor about canning of Wolf Warrior three is not true because uh, I would like totally <laughs> yeah, I mean I at think. this
3: point it would be it would be an instant like it would rock it up to number one. I think it would yeah, like, it would just destroy the
2: top ten list. It would just it did, like and also, what's interesting about this movie is that almost it seems like a huge chunk of it takes place in English, even with like some of the dialogue Wu Jing delivers is in English. So I don't and it didn't make much money abroad, but it seems almost like that decision might have had something to do with trying to export it nice. as a movie.
0: I don't know. Yeah, that uh, you know what? You're right. I just realized that. It, when you only you, when you bring it up. You're right. Yeah, but but that's that's funny how that worked out because really the movie appealed to you know Chinese, Chinese audiences. Yeah. You know, reason of appeal to the nationalism. I mean, the, the um, it, it became like one of the world's largest uh, top-grossing movie just purely on the strength of Chinese, Chinese market. Yeah. And and uh, and also like. I think one, Dot, uh, the owner of AMC, they, they made a very good calculated decision to release Wolf Warrior 2 only in like cities and areas with large Chinese population. Yeah. So I that's why I got to see it in L.A., in, in parts of Orange County where there's enough Chinese moviegoers, they will release it. and. I actually went to see it twice. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so wow. The first time I was, you know, I didn't expect anything. I was going in the in the mood of a uh, mode of uh, mystery science three thousand, and I got blown away. And so I I went to see it second time. Both time, you know, the, the movie was the, it was packed. It was mostly Chinese, mostly Chinese. Are Chinese nationals or overseas Chinese, uh, and I think that's what it was going for. Uh, and but you're right, there's it was like that kind of uh, international. It's trying to add that international flavor. Mm-hmm. Also the cast too, right? The the American doctor Rachel, so she was uh, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, she, she was American actress. Well, her, her her mom was born in Hong Kong. Um, she she grew up in Hong Kong, so she's like half half. But but like the you know Frank, um. Uh, yeah, he's obviously American. <laughs> Hollywood, yeah. Dad. It's yeah I, I,
3: I, I mean, like, actually, you usually think... don't hire a good villain.
2: They they went out of their way to get a like a someone who's actually a very good actor to play that okay. character. A lot of personality. But I I think we can't end this conversation without talking about the like the final climax with a so many tank fights. Like, and it's not just yes. like there are, in Operation Red Sea. There's like. Tanks firing on each other, but here it's a lot more creative. They flip a tank, but yeah. just by running, like by he like, outruns a tank. A- exactly.
0: <laughs> there, was, there was like tank drifting, right? mean, yeah. yeah. you know, Easily the top, one of the top action scene in recent memory. <laughs> I mean, like I, I I did not expect that, and, and it was it was very like well choreographed too. Yeah, um, I mean, totally. It's totally believable.
3: <laughs> Flipping a tank could have been super goofy, but honestly, it was. I was there for it.
2: They did it right, yeah. And, the, and yeah. I think it is
3: all about pacing. Like with tanks,
2: I think if they ever appear in a movie, you kind of think of it like a World War II thing. They're sort of lumbering, they're a little bit slow, and it's kind of uninteresting. And I find, kind of felt that way in Red Sea. But here, it's the pacing of it. It's you have that tight focus on Wu Jing the whole time. It's man versus tank in a big way, you know. I think that's what makes it
0: work. Do you guys know who, like, uh, you know, helped did the edit of the movie? Because I mean, that, they did an amazing job.
2: Yeah, I so I know the audio editing was partly done in um, New Zealand, but the actual editing, I think, was um, you know fully Chinese, is my understanding. Oh wow! Fully Wu Jing's team. Wu Jing's Damn. just Wu Jing's just got that timing. Yeah. Uh, he must not sleep. He, yeah. Apparently, he's a real hard yeah. worker.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think like because you know Hollywood movies are silly popular in China, right? Like but the Chinese audience enjoy the Hollywood style action, but mm. they enjoy it more when they see like a Chinese face, right? Like, um, but with like the Hollywood um, style, you know, like that. I think that's what the what made made it such a big draw for the Chinese audience. It's something they never seen before. It's like very fresh. Um in a way, um that's what they've been waiting for all along.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well also as need to say that as Big Daddy crawls out of the the tank, my favorite line in the movie, just like one of my favorite my favorite line in any Chinese movie I've ever seen, which is I guess the Chinese military ain't as lame as I thought. (laughs) It's amazing.
3: That's the that's what the whole movie was there for. Like the entire budget was for that one
0: line.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's all it's the punchline.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like you know, like one of the thing about uh, Wolf Warrior Two is uh, like people were surprised. Um, it got green by the Chinese censorship board because normally like the Chinese censorship uh, People uh, they're very anal, right like <laughs> But there was so much like violence <laughs> and action. Yeah. They they, I think that one of the reason um, it got green because Wolf Warrior 2 have kind of the implicit backing of the PLA and yeah, ultimately, PLA is the one that telling the the Chinese censor what to do, and not not, not vice versa. So there was even uh, like a social media joke about that. Like uh, they show pictures of like the Chinese censor wielding the big scissors, you know, like like having the power trip over all the domestic uh, movie production, and then the PLA comes from behind. <laughs> it was a big guns, so like okay, you are gonna pass these movies. <laughs> Wolf <laughs> Warrior well, Two and uh, Operation Red Sea. <laughs>
2: well, a- apparently the like editing stage of the movie was super super stressful because the the censors were really pushing to make changes in it, and that you know I'm I'm just so curious to see what like the version of this movie was before they <laughs> got to it.
0: the intense oh, editing. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I hope I, I hope they come out with, like, a director cut or something. Yeah, that'd be so <laughs> cool. Wu Jing's you know, personal, yeah, like,
3: Wolf Warrior 2.
2: Yeah. Well, also, speaking of the PLA being involved in these movies, uh, do you know anything, Carl, about... Because, like, it seems... Like, I don't think they're getting their own tanks. I wonder if they, you know, borrow the equipment of the PLA to make these movies.
0: Oh, right, right. But... So for uh, I did not pay attention in Wolf Warrior two, but for Operation Red Sea, the, those were non Chinese weapons. Like they oh. actually they actually made a like a like a <laughs> kind of plausible excuse in the movie. Say oh because uh, we're operating kind of uh, um, under UN jurisdiction or whatever. That's why we, we use. Uh, we use the non-chinese weapons or something like that but but that that was the only i think the 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 most obviously thing that was chinese uh uh, in both movies are the you know the chinese warships right Mm, yeah so they use a real they're kind of splicing the real footage of the 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 chinese navy um in both movies and and you know in the ocean Part of it's CGI, and the other part is like the real uh, PLA Navy uh, footage, exercise right. footage.
3: Yeah. I was looking up the tanks when we were watching World War Year 2, like the last time we did last week. And I'm pretty sure they were the they were like Type 59, which was modeled on the Soviet T-54, the World War II oh, really? tank. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. So I had
2: that association
3: for a good reason. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> so dope. Makes yeah. Sense. there's a whole wikipedia on the weapons like every single weapon used in the movie somebody compiled a wikipedia of people love
2: this movie
0: we love this movie (laughs) we love this movie dude i love this movie yeah we're
3: in complete agreement here
0: thanks to carl ja
3: here's our conversation with wolf warrior two composer joseph Trapanese. (laughs)
2: How did you initially hear about the Wolf Warrior 2 project?
4: Uh, well, actually, let me tell you the full story. What it was is <laughs> I got a call from my agent and he said, hey, there's a Chinese director in town who's trying to understand better how to create a score, create a soundtrack for his movie. He did a movie called Wolf Warrior. It was a huge hit. They're, they're gearing up for the sequel and uh, he wants to meet with a music supervisor and a composer. Will you come in and meet with him and, and and meet with him as a composer? And I was under the assumption, and so was my agent, that this was purely a, a fact-finding tour of, <laughs> you know, the director was trying to understand what he was trying to do. But, you know, we had a super positive meeting just talking about how, you know, music works in Hollywood movies. And then basically at the end of the meeting, they were like, hey, the director really likes you. Do you want to do this? And I said, let me think about it. You know, let's, let's keep talking. <laughs> so after a couple months of going back and forth, we, figured out a deal. And I agreed to do it. And and it was really exciting to come on board after watching the first movie and kind of just understanding just a tiny bit about Chinese cinema and where they're at. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was, hey, meet with this director to kind of help help him understand how in the Hollywood setting, how scores work, but oh, why don't you score the movie? (laughs) So
3: it was great. Yeah. Um, Watching the first, well, four year in that process, kind of like your first sort of exposure to Chinese film.
4: Yes, it was. I mean, obviously, I've seen some classic Chinese cinema, but in terms of, of modern Chinese cinema, you know, that's that was the first modern Chinese movie I've really been exposed to.
3: What
2: was your first impression of Wu Jing? What was he like? Because we only see him, you know, on screen as, uh, as the Wolf Warrior, essentially. What well, he you, like know, off screen?
4: <laughs> you know, that energy he brings on screen is very similar to his energy off screen. I mean, he's not as physically active off screen, obviously. <laughs> sure. but in terms of his dedication and mental stamina and desire to make something amazing, that's all there. And that's why I was excited to sign on. I saw, you know, I saw a director who wasn't just trying to make a movie and be a star. He was trying to make a great movie and dedicate himself to being a great performer. So when you see that in a potential collaborator, you have nothing... You know, what goes through my mind, there's nothing but the desire to help them achieve something amazing, you know, so so that energy kind of ran throughout the project, throughout my relationship to him. And through this day, I saw him maybe about a year ago. We had dinner kind of celebrating the success of Wolf Warrior, Two, And he was already, you know, I could tell he's starting to think about what's next. And so that's something that is super positive and super exciting.
2: Yeah. How did he present his initial vision for the sound of the movie, for the music in the movie?
4: That's... What was really interesting, I think being someone coming from Hollywood, they were looking to me to bring something to the table for them to work with. So when they first gave me the movie, there was no temp score. There was no general direction other than we want this to be a big movie and and have kind of the touches that Hollywood is accustomed to. We want this to look and sound and feel like a real Hollywood movie. And, And so... That was very interesting. It was, you know, it's a little concerning to me coming to a scenario where there is no direction, but the direction was there in terms of, like, size this up. Make it big, make it powerful. <laughs> they gave me a budget to work with an orchestra, to to have a team, to, like, have all my usual stuff. So they really enabled me to do a great job, which is really cool.
2: Did you stay in California for most of this process, or were you over there as well?
4: I went over there once during the shoot to just... Kind of sit down with wu jing and the producers to kind of just continue our conversation they visited me several times here in la to listen to music to have meetings, that sort of thing. But the majority of the process was remote. And that is something that is very interesting. I think if I were to do this whole scenario again, I, I, I do hope to score another Chinese movie in the future. But if I were to do it over again, I think I would hire a translator to allow them to speak in Mandarin. Because Wu Jing has surprisingly good English. He claims not to have good English. But, <laughs> but is, he, he is very good English. He just, he just doesn't like using it so much. But his producer and the, the associate producer So they speak very good English. So I spoke to them exclusively in English. But, and again, this is something I learned during the process, that's kind of limiting for a creative person to work Mm their second language. So, for instance, I was talking to the sound team at Park Road Post in New Zealand. They handled the sound mix, and they were having trouble kind of communicating, getting the right notes, and they wound up hiring a Mandarin speaker, local Mandarin speaker, to be the translator, which allowed the crew to talk in Mandarin, and their notes became much clearer and much, much more forthcoming. And, and that was something that definitely was a challenge for me, understanding the notes, understanding what they Mm. did exactly. So that was definitely something I learned (laughs) from the project (laughs) is next time I do a Chinese movie to, to have a translator. So I could allow them to feel super comfortable. Just like I said, I said to a director the other day, I said, more importantly than what you love, I need you to tell me what you hate. You know, I need you to tell me like I deliver music. I'm giving you music. Tell me what you don't like about it, because then I'll never do that again. I'll, I'll, I'll learn like what you really like and what you don't like. You know, and that was definitely one of the challenges here was was the was overcoming the
3: translation. That one time that you did get to the studio, you know, when you were in China, what was it feel like on the set? I mean, was there like the energy of, you know, we're making, you know, a movie that's going to make a billion dollars?
4: Well, <laughs> well,
3: that's a that's a great
4: question. I had heard going into this, I was told at, at my knowledge of Chinese Politics and current culture is very poor. I'm a typical American. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not super internationally uh knowledgeable. I try to be, but China is particularly not a forte of mine. But I heard stuff like, Oh, the first movie was made for like ten million dollars and made ninety million dollars as this giant hit, and the president of China was so into it and said, I can't wait for the sequel. You know, so so you're <laughs> hearing that going, Wow, this could be a big movie, but I've done a lot of movies at this point, and really the the thing you have to know as a as a creator is that you have to derive your pleasure or your <laughs> you have to derive your sense of purpose from the actual job itself because so many times we work on a movie we pour everything into it and the movie fails and nobody goes to see it you know so and the movie makes no money. so if you connect your your own internal sense of success or failure with box office you're in for a world of hurt so i'm just going hey i just want to make this sound cool and for the people who see it i want them to go wow that music's really cool and even more importantly this film is really cool. So on set, it was surprisingly similar to the times I've been on set here in the States. It's a whole bunch of people. They were in the middle of nowhere, two hours outside of Beijing, but had built this like little city up on a, on a set and had all these cars and vehicles. And, and Wu Jing was working around the clock to like, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera, obviously it was and. You know, I have to say, it was very similar to a Hollywood movie set in the sense that everyone there was dedicated to making something awesome. I think that's kind of a through line that you'll find throughout cinema, throughout the arts. People are getting paid, you know, are making a living, but also it's such a brutal lifestyle with working around the clock that the people who do it are just into it for loving movies, for loving cinema. So I wasn't surprised by that because that's a very common thing for me to see, but it was. Again, something that made me smile because I wasn't sure what to expect in China. But, you know, I found it more similar to Hollywood than I thought it was going to be.
2: You mentioned the the politics of the movie, which I find particularly interesting. Were you thinking at all about it being a politically important movie in that way for China while you were thinking up the score? Did that play into your composition process?
4: Well, you know, that's a great line of thinking. I think there are two ways to go about this job that I have. You know, one way is to kind of be completely just focused on the piano or whatever you're looking at Mm. to write music and just making great music. But obviously, we live in a society and you need to kind of think of the bigger picture, you know, in terms of like, what is my music going to bring to this film? What is it going to add to the film that will enhance it for the audience? So when I saw the original Wolf Warrior, what struck me was... It felt very much like an 80s Hollywood movie. Mm. Um, And after kind of talking to the producers, talking to some other people about Chinese cinema, it seems that where Chinese cinema is right now, at least uh, psychologically, is where America was in the 80s, this kind of rah-rah, like, you know, uh, super patriotic. For the U.S., it was like Rocky versus the U.S.S.R. Yeah. You know, or whatever. yeah.
3: Rambo Harvard versus Draga. the
4: U.S.S.R. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Just yesterday. And I think, uh, look, again, I, I I, really am not an expert here, but it certainly felt like China versus the world in terms of that cinema is like China establishing itself as a as a true, powerful world influencer. So for me as a composer, what that really told me more than anything else is just I need the music to be uplifting and inspiring Mm. and make people feel confident in coming together and uniting to overcome a challenge you know I I try to boil things down to its most basic and leave the actual nitty-gritty of the politics out of it (laughs) Um, you know you can't help but think of it uh, from time to time obviously but as an artist I'm trying to just kind of boil it down to just simply making great music you know
3: Totally. In contrast with the like uplifting kind of energy that you wanted to bring into this, personally I wanted to ask about that song in the cave with like that acoustic guitar that I guess Wu Jing has some voiceover on.
4: Yeah, you know on I, I have to be honest with you, I had nothing to do with that song. You know? <laughs> no, all I knew was um, they had brought in a really top a songwriter in China to write that song and Wu Jing was going to sing it. That's what I was told. And I didn't really hear it until like, you know, there was some talk early on that maybe I could write a theme that the song could be based on or this, or I could base like the love theme on the song or something like that. And unfortunately the way schedules work, things got so compressed where that, didn't happen so my first exposure to the song was when I was basically done with the score and they had sent it to me and said oh here's the song you know and it's it's a cool (laughs) beautiful song you know but unfortunately it didn't have anything to do with it
2: yeah Riz and I were chatting earlier it's like comparable to Gran Torino but you know (laughs) a bit a bit better in terms of singing than um than Clint Eastwood maybe out of
3: nowhere you know (laughs) but it's kind of beautiful and it's well and and I think
4: And and again, I think yet again, it's another kind of parallel to the 80s. I mean, it reminds me of how music was used in the 80s, where all of a sudden uh, a song Mm. would just you're out of nowhere like where did this come from and it's not a judgment on the song it's just like oh okay and now this you know so I, i think you know i think it's very similar you know and i think i i think it is really interesting right that china gets all the biggest hollywood movies of modern day of you know the marvel stuff or whatever but their actual movies right now are kind of 30 years in the past kind of catching up at least that's what it seemed like when i did it i think you guys might know this better than me. I, how many movie theaters are opening a day in China? I mean, it's just oh, yeah. it's just it's yeah, and like, I think it's like four theaters a day, year round for like the last however many years are opening. So I think they're going to catch up with us quickly. And I think what'll be really interesting is what Chinese cinema is like ten years from now. I think it might be right up to snuff with us just because they're moving so fast and the cultural crossover is accelerating and becoming a thing. But I know that politically right now, there's there are people trying to put a, you know, a wall in between, so to speak, mm-hmm. a, a theoretical wall in between China and the US. So you wonder if, if that will kind of prevent future collaborations. Like if Wolf War 2 was happening today, I'm not sure if I would have been hired because, you know, right now the political tensions between the US and China are so much unlike, you know, I think, What makes us lucky here in the States we have obviously free speech, so Hollywood can do whatever they want, whereas cinema in China is heavily, heavily controlled. I, I I, was unfortunately not around at the final dub in New Zealand, but I did hear it got really tense at the end with the censors watching, watching Wolf Warrior 2 and giving notes to Wu Jing about things that need to be changed, need to be ADR'd, redubbed, so that it would fit in line with the party. So I think, I can't speak to any specifics just because I don't know it, but I sure. did hear it got really stressful at the end from people who i know so i think what's so interesting you know i i'm used to getting notes from the director the producer maybe the studio but you know in, in china they get notes from the government <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. So I, I, I don't even want to imagine that stress. So I think it's just like Hollywood, but with that added thing. So that's going to be very interesting to see moving forward, how that guides the development of Chinese cinema. I'm sure you've had other guests talk about it. I, I, I'm i not an expert on that. That's the last thing I, I really want to talk about.
2: <laughs> to get into the specifics of the score, though, what I was very interested in was that it seems like the music interacts in an interesting way with the bullet shots as like a rhythmic element. Was that something that you were thinking about while making it?
4: It was, you know, I think it was very clear that Wu Jing wanted to incorporate some very stylized sim- cinematography and shooting techniques into his movie. So when I approached those scenes and those edits, I I tried to make sure that we were pacing Uh, correctly with the type of editing and the type of shooting they were using i mean that's something i try to do on every film is to kind of try to find the inherent rhythm of the scene rhythm of Mm. the editing the performance and then try to match that you know i think on wolf warrior 2 was pretty chaotic at the end of the day i think some of the score got jiggered around where a piece of score from one scene was actually used for a different scene it was very interesting because there was the post-production schedule got tighter and tighter and tighter so there are some parts of the movie where i went to see it in the theater and you know i would kind of forgotten that music was used for this scene because it was was moved around but that happens in film all the time you know
3: were there any like very particular sources of inspiration for the score i'm talking maybe more like cultural sounds i mean you know the movie takes place mainly in like an african setting and there seems to be inspiration there too
4: there absolutely is. I use quite a bit of African instrumentation, especially on the percussion side of things. I, for mm. me personally, I it's interesting. I, I tried to, especially with this movie being Caucasian-American, coming in to score a, a Chinese film. I, I had been to China once about four months before starting on Wolf Warrior Two, and then I went again during the shoot. So Obviously, again, I try to be cultured and worldly, but also I'm I'm very aware of my own shortcomings. So when it comes to doing a quote-unquote ethnic score and pulling in ethnic instrumentation, that was something I deliberately, with the exception of some African instrumentation, mm. I really tried to stay as far away from as possible and try to make this a universal score, if that makes sense, you know, try to kind of, you know, let the scenery, let the cinematography be Africa, be China, and then have... The score itself be the internal emotions rather than the external
3: setting if that makes if that makes sense yeah, totally it was like super well integrated we were talking about how well the movie is paced kind of like it at least personally it reminded me of like a good born or one of the good batmans where you just can't take a second off and the score really kept up with that so that was although tough. it did
2: have it's like soaring moments i would say uh, much more so than a born or a john wick well, and I think what's interesting about that, you know,
4: I have to say that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this film because I'm I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up with 80s mm. movies. So when I kind of saw how parallel current Chinese cinema is with cinema of Hollywood of the 80s, I knew there would be these soaring moments and moments where I could write a big theme. I think what's interesting mm. about modern Hollywood filmmaking is it's very allergic to melodies and thematic moments. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to, you know, <laughs> one of these big soaring themes into a movie and I, the, the director or the producer, or the studio just looks at me like I'm, I'm insane, you know? So, so I think not only was I able to use current practice and what my training is at contemporary Hollywood scoring, but then indulge myself a little bit in the music that I grew up with, which has these soaring melodic moments. And so that's something that the producers actually, you know, I, I, one of the producers especially encouraged from the beginning to have these soaring melodic moments. And that's, yeah, it, it really made it uh, pleasurable for me to to do <laughs> that because I don't get to do that normally.
3: I mean, you get these scenes where, like, you're kind of getting chased by a tank. I mean, you definitely need, like, an intense score at that moment. So, I mean, that totally works out. Good, good.
2: It seems like this score is also a lot less electronic than some of the other stuff you've done. Although, maybe there's more electronic elements that I'm not hearing. But was that also an element of that sort of nostalgia?
4: That absolutely... But part of the element of nostalgia was, like, yeah, really focusing on a muscular orchestra, kind of Mm. using... The orchestra to kind of give you the meat and the and the potatoes of the score. There's plenty of synths kind of reinforcing stuff and kind of creating mm-hmm. a a fat low end and so all sort of stuff that we use synths to do, kind of make it more punchy. But in terms of the general instrumentation, you're exactly right. It's a, it's it's quite a bit less electronic than what I'm used to doing. So that was kind of fun to do something that is more straight orchestral. But also, you know, I have to be careful with synths because. If I push too hard, it it could feel sci-fi or futuristic. Mm. So, you know, it's definitely designed to be less synth heavy than some of my other music.
2: And also there was like a good amount of diegetic music in the movie as well. For instance, um, there's that party scene where it seems like it's only music being played on drums within the scene. Were you also involved in that sort of thing? I was and I wasn't,
4: you know. I I, I, I love being involved early and I and I was involved early on this film, getting a, a very early script, thankfully in English that I could understand, <laughs> which is impressive for them to translate it. because uh, yeah. they didn't have to, but but that was cool that they did that for me and for I guess the rest of the um, there were obviously as you know a number of Americans involved, so that was cool of them to do that for us. But so I knew about these scenes, we'd spoken about them, but what's interesting is we're Chinese movie making is on a nuts and bolts level they're still kind of figuring things out in terms of how to make stuff work logistically like that so for instance I worked on a movie here in the states recently that had a lot of on screen music and so I was engaged very early on to do some pre recording and to fly to a studio where we had access to Dixieland musicians and like uh, go in and record authentic Dixieland and bring in a singer and bring in the you know and and, and then on set they had a playback engineer and, and the actor had earwigs so that they can like sync up with the music and you know that sort of thing whereas on wolf warrior two with the diegetic music it was this question mark the whole time like i was like i remember asking like how are you gonna do this do you need me to provide drums and do you need me to provide you know and i never got a clear answer until we basically the movie was done and i was sent like a drum track like oh these are the drums that we did on set and it was a bit messy and luckily we had a great music editor who was able to make something work and 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 put it together and and i think he found some local music where they're based in new zealand he found some local musicians to kind of fill in some gaps so it's like this really interesting like you know i again i admire the tenacity to like (laughs) like look they made a gigantic movie but but at the same time like there were these basic questions that they just haven't established that sort of production technique of like what a pre-record is and you know i I would try to educate them and try to help but at the same time you know i'm just the composer so i could i could nudge i could offer advice and thoughts and that sort of thing but at the end of the day you just got to get it done with the resources at hand so that was that was super interesting and i knew it was going to be a challenge going into it and, and it was but again luckily we had a great music editor a great mix team so i didn't have to worry about it that much thankfully
2: Sort of a more broad question. I think a lot of Chinese blockbusters do, as obviously you did with this one, do take sort of notes from more Hollywood movies. Do you think that the music will start becoming more distinctively Chinese in a, in Chinese blockbusters? Do you see that happening? Well,
4: first of all, I would love that. I think I Saw Wolf Warrior 2 as an opportunity for me to share the culture I've grown up with, with generation of of Chinese artists. Hopefully, you know, Chinese musicians are taking something away from that and learning like modern production technique. That would be so cool if if that were to happen. That's something I was very vocal about when we started that, you know, Mm -hmm. we've even talked about the, I need to get in touch with again, but the producer and I have spoken about maybe doing a film music workshop in China. I think that would be awesome, you know, because I think, yeah, because I think having... Obviously, you know, what do I know about Chinese culture? How awesome would it be for the next Wolf Warrior to be scored by a Chinese musician and to have a distinctly Chinese voice? That being said, it is interesting where whereas, you know, I had a quick turnaround on a film recently where from spotting to dubbing. Meaning from when I first saw the movie through when we were mixing the music in with the dialogue, it was about 10 weeks. And that's pretty fast. That's like two hours of music in 10 weeks. You do the math. Yeah. It's a it's a <laughs> lot of hard work. I've heard that a lot of and this is Asian cinema in general, because it's made very quickly mm. and the production values is slightly lower. I've heard of that it's not unusual for a composer to have two weeks to score a film and um, so when you watch asian cinema some of it that has a lower production value and you hear the score and you say why is this just like random drum loops and kind of bad (laughs) you can't just blame the composer you could go well if they had two weeks to do it like and they wrote like an hour and a half of music in two weeks i mean that's amazing (laughs) good for them (laughs) um but until we see a more traditional post-production pipeline in the sense of like, you give the composer at least two months to deliver a score, ideally four months or six months where the composer can really deliver something great. That's when I think we're going to see something really artistic and really special happening. You know, and luckily with Wu Jing and, and this team, they realized the power of music, like what music is bringing to them. So they gave me the time and resources to do a proper score. But for a lot of asian cinema it seems that and again this is over generalizing mm. there are plenty of uh, of examples where this is not the case but you know a lot of times music is an afterthought so i think if we see music becoming more artistic and more driven by culture there it will be because they're given more time and resources to lit to deliver the art that this is it is an art it's not just a catering or something yeah. but i think it's treated like catering sometimes we're used to that we know that's a possibility but for it to be a really artistic thing it has to be treated like a work of art if that makes sense
2: it does have you heard any rumblings about uh, another wolf warrior
4: you know, I I think that's something that is absolutely planned and something that Wu Jing wants to have happen. I think it's a question of where it fits in his schedule. And mm. you know, you saw that teaser at the end of Wolf oh, Warrior. Oh yeah. 3,
3: yep. you know? <laughs>
4: so I think without a doubt, we're going to see a Wolf Warrior three. I think it's just a matter of when. And to be honest with you, I haven't heard from the guys in in a few months. So you're you're reminding me maybe I should email them and say hello <laughs> yeah, or yeah, up and and just say hey, how's it going? I I have yet to see. <laughs> wandering earth
3: oh uh, it's, so, it's good. so so good and oh, an amazing score by really I think a really
2: good chinese
3: composer yeah
4: oh good good that 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 will make me happy so i'm looking forward to checking that out thank you yeah,
3: that one. These, these are the two like wolf well, warrior two and wandering earth that are just like
4: and really, they're both they, Wu Jing. they really amazing. jump out
3: at you of course wujing yeah well, we're developing like a weird sort of cult of personality for him just <laughs> like our little podcast but it's it's a un, you know unavoidable I I have
4: to admit, I mean, Wu Jing really is an inspiration for me because, you know, here's a guy who's been working hard for 20 plus years as an actor, you know, having bit roles here and getting a few breaks here and there. He started in Hong Kong cinema, which I understand is very different from Chinese cinema. And, you know, making that crossover from Hong Kong cinema to Chinese cinema is not an easy thing, but he did it and worked his way up through Chinese cinema and so for him to see him here and not only is he he's not resting on any laurels he's not you know like the last time I saw him after the wild success of Wolf Warrior 2 he was talking about how excited he was to go back to the gym and like go <laughs>
3: this
4: next movie go you know like so he is someone who works so hard so every little piece of success he has has come via blood and sweat and just working crazy hard so he really is an inspiration for me <laughs>
2: Thanks to Joseph Trapanese. Here's our conversation with Wolf Warrior 2 Action Director Sam Hargrave. Our show is basically, we're doing a series right now on like the top 10 biggest Chinese blockbusters. And the show generally is about Chinese blockbusters. And this is sort of the, the culmination of the season. And in fact, I think yours might be the last interview of the season. Is that because we had the biggest movie? No. Exactly, exactly.
3: It's also the movie that absolutely inspired the show.
2: Yeah, totally. We saw the movie and we were cool. like, we have to learn all about Chinese blockbusters after this.
3: Oh, wow, okay. Well, unfortunately, the rest of the list doesn't stack up to this one. <laughs> not, not quite. Well, but.
5: I'm just honored to be on any list whatsoever when it comes to cinema, so I appreciate you guys uh, considering oh, I mean,
3: This is one of the best movies like, of the decade.
2: Honestly, yeah. <laughs> It's it's really up there. Oh, glad you guys liked it. So we wanted to start off talking about um it seems like Hong Kong's stunt culture has had a really big influence on Hollywood stunt culture, and in this yeah. movie you were sort of looping it back. Yeah. Did, did you grow up on like Hong Kong stuff? I did. I grew up uh, I mean I started martial arts,
5: my training in martial arts when I was probably thirteen or fourteen years old, and that introduced me to that. Culture and Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee, Jet Li movies were very soon on the menu for me to devour. And I I (laughs) love I love them. I mean, I always tended to gravitate towards Jackie Chan's style just because I love humor and action, his his editing. And he always really impressed me. But you know Donnie Yen is always pushing the envelope and I try I'm not nearly as rabid a fan as I was back in my you know younger years but I try to keep up with the current you know any any movies
2: coming out of Hong Kong or um even Korea like bringing it up to Donnie Yen that almost like if you were if you were watching earlier Donnie Yen right that would have been like or not early Donnie Yen, but like you would have seen Wu Jing in Killzone, right? Oh yeah, no, I loved Wu
5: Jing in Killzone. It was fantastic. I, I was definitely aware going into the movie that was one of the you know, super intriguing things about it is to get to work with Wu Jing because he was he stood out in that scene, and I, I used to we always try to emulate you know what we saw, and that was impetus for a lot of our online videos starting out, and it it really heavily influenced my work and thought process on action sequences.
3: Oh, wow. So how is working with an actor who is you know already originally a martial artist like in terms of doing stunts and stuff? Oh it's it's fantastic. It's very
5: refreshing. I've been very fortunate in my career both you know in Hollywood and outside of it to get paired up with some pretty talented actors physically. You know like Hugh Jackman or uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, they're all super talented, but they don't have the many many years of discipline uh, the martial disciplines that the Wu Jing had. And I mean, he's like, you know, was one of the highest level competitors at the time like in China. He's he's like a legend in martial arts alone. So to work with him and to see, he just not only picks up choreography insanely fast, he comes up with ideas where you go, oh, that's a fantastic idea. I, mean, <laughs> I never thought of that. Like, how did you do that?
2: Show show me that so I can, you know, learn that and use that in another movie. <laughs> One like super specific thing that I noticed that came up in both Killzone the first Wolf Warrior and this one mm. is this tiny curved knife that he has. Yeah. Was that something he like specifically brought up? He likes knives, he likes weapons obviously and he like he, for this
5: one he wanted to keep it very military and the but he really does like the the karambit is like this that style of knife. It's a kind of a very regional weapon to the, that side of the world and it's it's very unique and it hasn't been used in a lot of movies i mean they made it very famous in um the raid or at least the mm-hmm. raid the raid 2 but he wanted to just put like a different you know a different spin on it and his own style to it and i think he did a, you know, a great job
2: totally how, how did you first hear about the second wolf warrior
5: yeah i got brought on to the project by the russo brothers so wu jing was looking to up the ante from the first wolf warrior he had to you know um make a bigger splash and he wanted to collaborate with some u.s filmmakers because he wanted to he said you know figured they you know he didn't just want to do a martial arts action movie he had he wanted to do uh, guns and fights and vehicles and so he's like ah who who does that better than hollywood and, you know, we had just finished or i had finished coordinating the Civil War. He, he came to L.A. and met with the Russo brothers because, you know, they directed it. So he's like, hey, who, who did your action? <laughs> and, you know, that was that was me. And strangely enough, truthfully, the, the first call I got was to direct the movie. Oh, wow.
3: Oh. Whoa.
5: And my, I turned it down because at the time. What they I said, like, I, you know, I'm I'm always interested, but I'd like to see a script and just see what the story is. So at the time, it was basically a, a 30 page outline. So there was, you know, and with just story was all over the place. And I was like, oh, this this is this is going to take a lot of work. But they're like, oh, we want to shoot it in three months time. And I'm like, Whew <laughs> yeah. a team of writers. And, you know, at least at least that much time to kind of sort this thing out. So I said, I, I got to pass. And so I just passed on the project and they you know, were like, okay. And then they came back and said, well, would you just action direct it? And then I thought about it and I was like, that'd be like fun. Work with Wu Jing and get to go to China, which I hadn't been to yet. And um, it would just be a fun challenge. Uh, let's do it. And so I signed on, but it was through the Russo brothers, Joe and Anthony Russo, who I got introduced to Wu Jing and that whole process.
3: What was it like being in China for your first time on like such a big set?
5: I mean, China was a very memorable experience. Like it was, uh, you know, I, before that I'd worked in South Africa and kind of all over the globe. But China was a very unique experience. It was um, a lot of people over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just a very, you know, they're, they're very passionate about film. They're just a little, you know, as far as the process their you know, the gear and understanding of how a lot of that stuff works. They're a little bit behind the States, uh, the, the Western cinema in that regard but their passion and their, you know, love for movies and figuring stuff out that, you know, equals if not exceeds those of Hollywood.
2: With that sort of being a little bit behind, and I've also heard that their filmmaking can be a little bit haphazard in a way. Yeah. Were, were, were you at all worried about safety on that set? Oh,
5: safety was paramount for me, and you mentioned earlier, the kind of, you know, coming up, being influenced by Hong Kong cinema and that, that kind of action, and then kind of coming full circle so I brought you know from the states and Canada I brought an entire team with me like an action team and who just helped me design and execute all of the stunts and action and and the biggest task that I gave them was safety just like keep your eyes open because things are you know this they are a little bit loose just a lot of it's just they don't know they haven't been exposed to these kind of more modern safety measures we I had a you know a great group of guys from the US and Canada who were tasked with keeping everything safe. You know, I wasn't overall in charge of that, but I had a great team of guys and girls over there helping me out. And we, we did. We had to keep our eyes open because they're they're very loose over there. And I think a lot of yeah. it just stems from them not having the knowledge or experience in a lot of these different action scenarios. Mm. And so we just had there was a lot of you know, exposure issue. And so we just had to we expose them to a lot of kind of more advanced safety measures and we, we and then we taught them a lot of things and they they're very willing to learn they're, there's no you know not a huge ego over there of being like, oh well this is
2: how we do it they're like oh this that's great. we didn't really think of it that way yeah we we tried to help. Was there anything flowing in the other direction that you learned from them? Technically no,
5: but the, the what I did learn culturally and and Wu Jing was great about this about being able to understand his target audience mm. and mixing just enough western flavor but staying true to kind of chinese culture and traditional cinema so things for example things that in the western world and i and i you know would fight for this stuff because i'm like oh i'm making a we wanted to be western we're going to make western cinema i would fight (laughs) for very kind of reserved and subdued take very subtle everything in the west is acting wise very subtle whereas Mm. it's a little more on the nose they're a little more theatrical about things but that really translates well for that audience that's what they know and love and so and he i mean to the tune of you know almost 900 million dollars he obviously knew his market very well <laughs> <laughs> he just crushed the you know it just crushed that the whole um, tonal experience of that film and really honed he really knew
2: he had a very keen sense of what his audience wanted I was noticing that came out in the action too. Like, there's one shot where he catches a shard of glass and just slices someone with it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which it it just seemed like a like a clear example of like this movie is heightened in ways that are maybe not on the surface.
3: I mean, he also captures like a missile with a mattress. (laughs) Right.
2: Yes, he
5: does. And And so you know, and I. It's funny because you basically you can very clearly see where his ideas would live and where more of our, you know, the kind of Western ideas live. And what he did, I think with my hats off to him, what he did. So I think did so well is mixing the two because, you know, it wasn't like this, the the sensibilities, say like in the fight in the marketplace um, or like the, you know, the shootout, some of the shootouts or the car chase, that was very Western sensibilities. But then to, to mix just enough flavor of jumping down and grabbing on with one hand, the the chain and using the, your other hand the glass to slice the throat or catching an RPG, like the um, right. <laughs> rocket grenade with a Fox spring mattress and then tossing to the side and blowing up a car. That's, that's very kind of Hong Kong Chinese cinema, but he just, you know, he did it like with, again, just the right mixture. He knew what people wanted to see. And he, he was the, the chef making it all happen back there.
3: Have drones ever been a part of your stunt work in such a direct way as it was in this movie, especially that one scene where, um, Lang jumping jumps just, just and d- takes a drone a down with yeah. like a bat or something yeah. burning
5: <laughs> i mean not not in like a story uh way <laughs> as much as this one which i thought was really creative and we was working on you know it went from should the the roach character should he have should they be a bunch of like toy trucks like coming in from the ground or like rc cars or should they be drones and then you know it's He's like, oh, but, the, but the idea of these drones swarming and, you know, having explosives and guns and him taking them out of the sky would be really creative. And I, I couldn't disagree. It is. I've never really seen that, you know, you've seen drones before used for, for different things. And there's more advanced military drones in different movies. But to have a guy like jumping off a bus and
2: squatting <laughs> up an a K-47, like that's pretty neat. Like, yeah. you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool. What goes through your mind when you hear that there's going to be a tank fight in a
3: movie? <laughs> Not only a tank fight, but man versus tank for parts right. <laughs> of
5: Yeah, I. Yeah, well, I like, mostly I go like, wow, like how <laughs> the f are we going to do that? And what's crazy is it's just amazing. is like they built those tanks. Oh wow! wow. So they had he, you know, Wu Jing is in with the with the Chinese military because from the first one, so he's got a lot of. Uh, You know, friends over there and people he knows and they they help him out but there's a a guy who his kind of hobby is he makes tanks like replica tanks and so he made these tanks that we could flip over or blow up and and, um, (laughs) a little faster than normal tanks so we could do some of the you know the drivings to quote driving stuff because how he pitched it to me Wu Jing's like I want to do like fast and furious but with tanks (laughs) 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 and I was like okay all right, man. We, all right. Well, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to give it a go. And so, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with it, but that was very challenging. And, and Wu Jing, in a lot of those sequences, is actually driving the tank. He learned to drive the tank. It wasn't a double for most of that stuff. He wanted to do almost everything himself.
3: Wow. Did he, did he ever get hurt, like, doing these things? <laughs> I mean, this is incredible.
5: He got banged up. Never hurt, like, injured so where he couldn't film, but, he you know, he's – He got banged up. He was rolling around like it, you know, banged up his knees. He fell down a couple times. He had bruised ribs. Like, you know, he was just—I mean, not to be kind of dismissive of it, but kind of normal action hero stuff. You know, the we had a stunt double there for him, so he wasn't doing everything because we, you know, we had a was a long shoot and he had a lot of big action to do. And I come from like the jackie chan school of stunts meaning like if it's a big stunt or a big gag that you're going to see his face and it's going to make the movie better let's use him but if you know if you're behind the character and you don't see his face and it's just like a fall or some crazy thing use the stunt double because that's what they're for that's what they get paid for Mm -hmm. but he he wanted as much as possible to photograph it in a way where you see his face and he can do you know do as much as possible
2: we, we were talking to the composer of the movie a, it must have been a week ago now but um he, he was telling us that like late on in the process the movie ran into some censorship issues but I know that contemporary violence is one thing that really sets off Chinese censors. Were there any conversations about that when you were planning the stunts?
5: Yes and no like we he was because he's trying like I said he was trying to hit anything he, he did a good job but hit hit a very specific audience he he wanted what he called the kind of the, the hyper realism of Hollywood action where he want, you know, you mentioned like the John Wicks and, um, you know, the, all the war movies, like a Spielberg war movie where you're really feeling it, which would be pushing the envelope for Chinese cinema. Like, cause it's, you know, they don't get a lot of that kind of violence. There's a lot of martial arts kind of violence, but not with guns, you know, and, and missiles and stuff like that. So we were aware of it, but we were kind of, tasked by Wu Jing to push the envelope and he's like I'll, I'll try to work with the sensors he just wanted to do something different he wanted and I think he got it his the Chinese Rambo basically
2: <laughs> totally <laughs> did he use that phrase
5: Uh we started like we, we were I mean he didn't necessarily but we started uh, I, I I don't know who it was the first person to mention it but it was just it just felt like that because it's you know he's a, this military guy who you know kind of goes out on his own to, to save people and he's using a lot of bullets and a lot of uh, he's blown up a lot of things to do it so we basically we, so we coined him the chinese rambo
2: <laughs> it's kind of interesting too because rambo is such a an example of the politics of the 80s and i think wolf warrior too in an interesting way is like the chinese politics of today yeah and most of the time when we bring up with like academics or something that aren't the politics of wolf warrior too interesting they immediately jump in with this like Sort of parenthetical, almost, of like, but American movies are political too, and interestingly, they almost immediately bring up the Avengers usually. Yeah. Do you think about the like politics on these movies? Like, did did you experience them in different ways while working on them?
5: Uh, well, it's funny. It's and so much of that I think is culturally grounded or culturally based. It, it very much felt like a political movie working on uh, Wolf Warrior Two. Mm-hmm. It just had a very specific thing to say about china's position globally and then their in- interaction with other countries and there's even you know mention with you know of, of g i s and 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 uh, american military just references to them i f- feel it less in uh, movies like The Avengers at least when you're working on it, although there is a very strong you know, correlations and subtextual references that you can't help but notice. I just mm-hmm. think it's because culturally you're you're in that country. You know, when you're in the States working on a movie it's about superheroes, so it's it's already in kind of the metaphorical realm because it's, you know, fantasy because superheroes Whereas you've got like a a more real world scenario with a movie like Wolf Warrior. And then you're in a foreign country where you're more aware of the difference in politics. So I think it was more obvious working on that, that it was related to uh, political stances than working on a movie like Avengers.
2: It was the ship at the beginning. Was that like a mock up of a ship or was that in cooperation with um, the military over there lending a ship or something? For which which shot the one they were like, uh, at the very beginning? He runs. He just, you know kind of spreads his arms and jumps dives yeah. off the ship.
5: No, that was that was an actual ship.
2: Yeah, that was oh. that was uh, not a fake ship. Brandon
5: jumped off the side of the ship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How that, that's, that's that's like the impact of jumping off a ship like that. Right. How do you mitigate that? Well,
5: it's I mean you, you he did a lot of he did a, it's crazy the amount of like training he put into it. He did a lot of work with because we did. I mean, to kind of back this up, uh, that sh- leads into the, you know, it jumps off the ship, it leads into this, quote, <laughs> underwater wonder. And how that came about, hilariously, is he, <laughs> Wu Jing had this idea that, you know, it opens up in the beginning, he's got this fight, and he wants to do a fight on deck, and then a fight underwater, and I was like, oh, that's cool. But what if, what if we did, what if when he goes in the water, it's more the fight action takes place more on the deck of the ship, and then once he jumps, it's kind of that, the last exclamation point where he jumps in. They don't know where he is, and he, he knocks the guys off the boat. And then that's his the, the kind of the the end of the thing. I said, I, and I pitched to him. I said it'd be really cool. What if we did? I just did this, you know, a couple of years ago on this movie Atomic Pond, What if we did this long kind of one shot thing where you, you introduce the character and he's doing this great fight, and then he's falling over the edge, he jumps in the water, and then that's the end of the one shot. And then you and he goes, he thought about it, and he's like, I like the idea. We should. be... <laughs> We should do the underwater fight, but as a one with no (laughs) cut. And then I was kind of like, oh boy, I just stuck my foot in my mouth, didn't I? (laughs) And so this idea had been planned in his head. So now, you know, there I was, we had to design an underwater one So, you know, we were choreographing fights in pools and he, he started training. We found this guy that does breath work and this free diver is like world record free diver. And so he was going to this, tank every couple days a couple of days every week before filming and doing his underwater and it's all this deep breathing above and then holding his breath he got to where he could hold his breath underwater for over three minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know when we we filmed the bit underwater and we did this at a pool in, in outside of Beijing and we were shot there that underwater sequence for like five or six days. and so he would you know he was doing all that so he would you know we'd be above water. He would take his, you know, do his breathing, take a big breath and under he went and he would do these extended fight sequences underwater, you know, on a single breath. His commitment to the the craft was incredible.
2: One thing that's sort of interesting about him is like having, I I think in some of his like very early movies, he was just kind of working, doing stunts and also just more just martial arts and having transitioned into directing. Do you see that as a sort of parallel in what you're doing?
5: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he did it, well, I guess we'll get to see, my movie hasn't come out, but he was extremely successful, his first movie, like, he made it, you know, I don't know, it, the budget was very low, and he made, like, $100 million, and, and then he even did it better with Wolf Warrior Two. he made it for, I don't know exactly, but it was, it was a lot more than he made the first one for, but the the return, like, they made, I think it was almost $900 million in China alone, so, yeah, he, he, he has proven that he crushed it he, from going from stunts to, you know, as an actor and then to directing seemed like a very natural progression. And he was, you know, he was good at it. He knows what he wants to see. He knows how to talk to, at least in, you know, in the, um, the Chinese performers, he knows that like talk to those guys and get what he wants. And I think, especially with action, he, uh, he was very gracious to, to bring us in and cause he knows what he's doing with action too. He just wanted a different flavor and he was very humble and said, "Hey, I want to, you know, I want to see what you guys come up with." And he had ideas, of course, but I think it was, it's another testament to the stuntman-turned-director that you know Chad Stahowski and David Leitch have done as well in America. But he is doing, kind of running a parallel path in China. And I think it's a, I think it's awesome. I think it's really great yeah. to not just assume that these people who are physically talented and creative—that's all they can do. Like they, there's a lot of a lot more they have to offer the world of cinema.
2: Do you think, as stunt performers becoming directors, you have a better idea of sort of what what the actual limits are, as opposed to the imagined limits of what you can do on screen? I think that has that plays a part for sure. I think the
5: you know the thing that is mostly important and has been done effectively by these you know folks we've been talking about the 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 Stahelskis and Leeches and Wu Jing's is. You, just because they do action doesn't mean you can forego telling a good story mm. that's that's the most important thing and i think they understand it so because you know martial arts has this kind of rhythm and and you know history and, and storytelling through action that they have a lot of experience in doing and then i guess you could kind of toss me in that category just that through years of you know doing these fight sequences and trying to tell stories through action it gives you an understanding of storytelling and understanding the importance of storytelling that you you don't have a fight scene without it like if two people are just punching each other for no reason we don't care Mm -hmm. but as soon as you enter story and stakes and action and consequences then you have an interesting fight scene and so that i think that has been super helpful for these you know stuntmen turned you know directors or action directors first and then legit first unit directors That's that's a very helpful background to come from
3: did he ever bring up, you know, like, yeah. the potential of exporting this movie at all? I mean, obviously he knows, like, his domestic market, but throughout the movie they end up speaking a lot of English. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. did that ever come up? Like. Yeah, no, he
5: wanted to make a movie that would be uh, as international as they could. Uh, I don't know, you know... How I haven't kept track of it, how it's done internationally, but I know that was definitely talked about. He wanted to have because he's trying to. He would love to break into the you know the U.S. market as an actor and filmmaker, and so he wanted to have something that had just showed that he understood that uh, market a little bit. Definitely talked about on set, and we'd, we we would do takes where it was to all and I an all Chinese version of a scene, but then we'd also do like an English version.
2: Oh wow. Were you involved in like directing the American actors more so or like was anyone helping him out? Because it it just seems like in the first movie, a lot of the lines in English aren't delivered in a super um, compelling way. Yeah, it it? seems a little bit unnatural in the first movie, but in the second movie, that's a huge improvement.
5: Yeah, I did. Actually, I, I pretty much directed all of Frank Grillo's scenes
2: oh wow
5: nice. those are so good yeah because frank and i i mean we go way back and we had like a rapport and for whatever reason wu jing and, and frank their communication just wasn't wasn't super smooth at times and so i kind of hel- i helped out and then it kind of transitioned and we also we'd split up because there was a lot of stuff to shoot so sometimes it would work out that wu jing had to go you know do some other big scenes and he'd like hey me go shoot this thing with frank i don't want him to you know to wait around so oh sure so i I'd go shoot a lot of stuff with frank
2: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's method acting that they didn't get along. Maybe, I mean, like, maybe who knows? I think it's, it's probably part of it. They were
5: like, "Ah, oh, we're, we're enemies in in the uh, movie. we're not going to get along." But they, you know, they were they didn't ever have any big issues that I didn't know of. It was just like kind of a communication thing that you sometimes you could see a little, it was a little bumpy, you know, with translators and whatnot.
2: Were there um, also Chinese stunt actors working on the film,
5: or was it entirely were crew? The whole Chinese no there was a whole Chinese stunt team like we had there was probably 15 20 stunt people because you know because there was a lot of action in this movie yeah so we had you know Wu Jing had like because there was like you know we had different units going and, and that was something that they weren't really used to or, or had, hadn't really thought about was doing running a second you like an action unit simultaneously with the main unit because it we originally like for that car chase they were like yeah we'll we'll do you know you guys will be with you for the whole time for the car chase and i'll just i'll get in there when i need to and i was like you know it's gonna take us like 10 12 days to shoot this car chase and i probably only need you for two of those days to plug you in for some of these close-ups that's you know 10 days of shooting time you could be shooting other scenes other dramatic scenes and we could just get on you know on schedule or ahead of schedule and he was like oh (laughs) that's a good idea so they they run on like chinese productions run on a long time just because it's just their way of doing things they like to be and i can't fault them like i would love to be involved in every single frame of my movie too but there's like certain efficiency that hollywood has come up with as far as you know you got your main unit and your action unit so you can be out when you don't necessarily need the actors you just go out with the stunt people and get some you know great action pieces and then bring the actor in and plug them in in the necessary close-ups or whatever action you want them in. So we, we implemented that strategy. But the Chinese stunt team was great. There's Jack Wong was the, the Chinese stunt coordinator, and he's been on all kinds of famous uh, Hong Kong movies. And he and his team were great. So we had a great collaborative effort between the American uh, and Canadian team as well as the Chinese team.
2: Did you guys have like translators on set because the composer was telling us that he was having some sort of communication issues in terms of direction
5: yeah we did and it was tough because it everything took you know four times as long right because i say something to the interpreter and it's not it's not a trans it's an interpreter because it's spoken word like there's no direct translation for Mm -hmm. some phrases so i say it to the interpreter and the interpreter says it to wu jing and then Wujing says it back. Answers back to the interpreter. Interpreter says it to me. So it's like four, you know, rounds there. It's funny. Wujing and I got to a, a place where we could communicate. His English got better. I learned a few Chinese phrases that I'd forgotten since <laughs> and but then we would almost communicate through look. We wouldn't even have to talk sometimes because the language of action, like we kind of knew language of cinema and action was kind of universal and we knew what the other one was thinking. We'd just smile and be like nod our heads and we would we'd, we'd, we'd kind of have a an unspoken communication, which was really cool to see develop over the course of the film.
1: Alright, so I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode and uh, this season of Upper in the Studio. Thanks again to Carl Shaw, Joseph Trapanese, Sam Hargrave, and all of our guests on this season. Our
2: original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh and Yehuda of Fist with a PH, and our art comes
3: courtesy of Jay Castro. Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod, like the Uproar in the Studio Facebook page, and maybe even Venmo us at reza Said with Uproar in your description. All proceeds go towards training our very moderate rebels. Help out. And if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions. Email us at Uproar in the Studio, all in one word, at gmail.com.
2: Though we're taking a break for a couple months, we'll be back soon with a series on Jackie Chan's career post-Rush Hour 3. But before we leave you this week, we just want to share some wisdom from the chairman.
3: To read too many books is harmful. We will see you soon.